Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm so sorry. I like when I pushed the answer and it would be like right as you were hanging up. Oh, no. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> no worries. And then, like, then you called me back and I had to get my phone charger. So <laughs> it's totally good. I was like, oh my gosh. We literally set up our iPhone and we were like, oh my gosh, we're on like 10% battery. So we had to go run and you know, yeah. scramble yeah. all over the place. But. <laughs> That's the struggle of afternoon conversations. By that time, the phone's already dead. <laughs> Well, we're really honored to have you on the podcast today. Um, we're just we're really excited. We don't actually get to speak with a whole lot of therapists. Um, we write, we speak with a lot of authors, and some people have, you know, we had Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. She's a sex therapist, and she's but oh. she also does like family therapy stuff as well. Yeah. Um, she's awesome. She's incredible. But um, she wrote the book "Sex God in the Conservative Church." So, um, besides her, I think she was the only other. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Elizabeth Earnshaw. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman therapist. She owns A Better Life Therapy in Pennsylvania, where she and her colleagues have supported hundreds of couples. Elizabeth also writes and speaks on relationships. She shares many of her insights on her Instagram account at Liz Listens and within her membership program, Love Lessons 365. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> awesome. Well, your focus, you know, as as we just heard in your bio, is on relationships. And I'd, I'd love to just dive right in. Um, but first, are you familiar with the term deconstruction in relation to religious beliefs? I am not. Oh, okay. Well, amazing. So we get to kind of exchange our, our little specialties today, which is yes, we do. Awesome. Well, basically, deconstruction, especially in the way that our, I guess, our circle, our bubble of life kind of approaches it is that um, a lot of people, ourselves included, were raised in um, more of a conservative Christian, um, I guess, culture. And, you know, there's there's things like purity culture, which is involves, you know, um, saving sex until you're married and modesty culture and a lot of just conservative fundamentalist Christianity. Um, and <laughs> deconstruction is essentially... When you reevaluate, and this can happen at any time in your life, um, but it tends to happen in your 20s and 30s, um, and it can happen older or younger, but right. typically that's where it's a lot of people have been experiencing it because they're like, oh, wait, purity culture didn't work for me in my relationship to with other people or with God. Um, it's reevaluating and reassessing core beliefs that essentially make your it creates a paradigm shift a lot right? of a lot of your identity shift um because so many people identify so closely to and with their religious upbringing um, mm -hmm. so it's a just a major uh re-evaluating and sometimes a crumbling and uh, some people walk away completely from their faith some people uh, there's a term called reconstruction you know that after they reassess and reevaluate and maybe sometimes they feel like they've lost so much of their religious upbringing, there's a sense of 
a, a season of healing where they start putting pieces back together and formulating a a system, but or just a spirituality or a spiritual practice that aligns with them and aligns with their spirit and whether it involves, you know, a, a religious faith or, or not, that's up to them. It's all, you know, up to that individual. But um, anyway, so we talk a lot about the experiences of deconstruction um, here, obviously on the podcast called Deconstruct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Adam and I, so we're married, we've been married for two and a half years and we were in the Christian music industry together. Uh, we toured as you, you know, heard earlier, Adam was talking about touring mm-hmm. Um, and we were really involved in in the Christian entertainment industry um, and have had a lot of experiences there, <laughs> good and bad, but a lot of the a lot of the conversations we have kind of revolve around some of the more traumatic experiences that we've involved in that. And um, we like to hear other people's stories of deconstruction as well and kind of how they've reevaluated and evolved in their faith. So, that is kind of the roundabout long way of saying <laughs> deconstruction is basically reevaluating core beliefs that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. I love having the new term for me to use. Mm. Um, <laughs> I did read, I did read about what your podcast is about, obviously, mm. and that yeah. you were um, talking a lot about how Christianity has and kind of rethinking that and how it's impacted you um, shows up in the podcast a lot. But yeah. now I understand the title of the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. It's all coming together. <laughs> all coming together. It, it makes so much more sense now, right? <laughs> yes, it does. And I think, you know, it's such, it's so wonderful when there is a word for a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Because it helps you to feel connected to something that other people have experienced. Yeah. Um, just knowing that there's a word, right? right. And yeah. that's it's so powerful for people to be able to say, oh, if there's a word for it, then it means I'm not alone. Right. Exactly. There's yeah. a term, there's something to kind of almost hold yeah. on to during a season when you feel like there's nothing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that being said, you know, now that you kind of like hear our term of it and our experience of deconstruction. I'm curious if, you know, in your practice, you've ever, you've ever worked through something similar, maybe not the same exact verbiage, but, um, if this is something that you've seen within couples or even individuals who they're trying to navigate a relationship, but they are reassessing major life core beliefs for themselves, or they're having any sort of identity shift or even identity crisis. Yeah, I see it all the time. Um, I see it a lot. And it's interesting because usually it doesn't present that clearly, right? Mm. Sometimes people will come in and say, hey, we're here because we've had kind of this major cultural change within our lives Mm -hmm. or spiritual change or we're questioning things about how we were raised. Most people, though they come in because they're having some sort of relational issue with each other. That's a little easier to identify on the surface. Mm -hmm. You know, we're struggling because we're not communicating well. We're unhappy with our sex life. Um, I hate so-and-so's parents. They get on my nerves. Um, We can't raise our kids together because we don't agree on things. And over a few sessions, we discover, you know, it's not really that surface issue Mm. that it is, like you said, that there's been some deconstructing happening, um, either with one or both people, I would say a lot of the time it's one person first. I don't know if that's your experience Mm -hmm. as well. Um, it normally is. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Where one person is saying, you know, this, this lifestyle or these values that we kind of entered into together aren't mine anymore. Mm. And, as I get more clear about that, I'm, I'm having a recognition about how it's impacting very real life things, right. like how we raise our kids or how we look at sex or mm. how we look at dealing with our family members. Um, and, or I'm having a big shift and I need you to be there for me with it, but you don't agree with my shift. Mm-hmm. And so I feel really alone. So I see it all the time. Um, usually it's kind of veiled under some other things, 
but it comes up eventually through some exploration that it is that somebody is deconstructing something um, that was very culturally significant to them or spiritually significant to them throughout their lives. Yeah. Mm. Right. And you know, you, you, you touched on kind of the different uh, perspectives and narratives one can have either, either it's me and I'm deconstructing and my partner is confused and doesn't know what's going on. Or it's sometimes the other way around where, you know, maybe I am solid in what I like with the way life has been going. And my partner's the one who's questioning or doubting. And I'm, I'm curious how, I guess what you would say to someone if I said, how can I best support my partner who's hurting because of my shift in belief systems or doubting my faith? Like, how can I stay true to my process, but also not drag them around? Yeah. So a couple things. One is that I suggest that they offer, you know, self-compassion to themselves around any grief that they're feeling Mm. about there's loss in that, you know, um, people make contracts with each other when they enter a relationship, you don't have to stick with it. Right. People change, they grow, they change their mind, but people do grieve when that contract is changed. And let's say that the contract is we are both the same religion. Mm -hmm. And within that, we not only are we the same religion, but we have the same beliefs, essentially. And now five years later, you're telling me that you don't anymore. Um, That's grief. And so I I always say like, that's okay to make room for your grief around this. You're Mm -hmm. allowed, you're allowed to have feelings about that. You're allowed to let your partner know that you have feelings about that. Um, But can you do it in a way that is fair and vulnerable and not critical or demeaning of them or in any way attempting to control like their own process around it. Yeah. Um, the second thing that I suggest is for couples to really talk about how this has shifted dreams within the relationship. So I'm a Gottman therapist and Mm. one of, um, the biggest conversations that we have with couples who are in conflict around this kind of stuff. It's called the dreams within conflict conversation. Okay. And when people begin to have, begin to, or they just uncover that they have different values, let's say, um, there's usually some sort of underlying dream that was attached to those values Mm. that the person is fearful is going to get blocked if they're not allowed, if they're not on the same page. Yeah. Right. So, Let's say that your dream ever since you were little was to get your child baptized as soon as they were born. Mm -hmm. And your partner has always said that's their dream. And then all of a sudden the baby comes along and you're like, nope, not getting them baptized. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in it anymore. I don't want to do that. And your partner is like, wait, this, I thought we were, I thought we were Christian. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to get them baptized. Mm -hmm. Like this is supposed to happen what's going on? And then you're in all this conflict. We don't, we don't agree anymore. We're not on the same page and people start to really freak out. They become really afraid because there's some sort of deep, what we call legacy dream in there. Mm. And what happens is couples get stuck on the surface where they're just arguing about, well, I wanted it to be at this church at this age. And I wanted it to be at this church, but really what's underneath it is that there was a dream. And the dream was either to continue a legacy or to discontinue a legacy. Mm. So we call it, so I call them extinction dreams or legacy dreams. And when people are on the same page, they, their dreams match up. So if my extinction dream matches up with your legacy dream, like if I say, I don't want to be within this religion anymore. And you say, oh, good, because I'm an atheist. Right. And my parents were. So I have a legacy I want to continue. And you want to, you have an extinction you want to create. Great. We're on the same page. But when one person is saying, no, you know, I grew up that way and it was terrible. So I'm not going to do that because I, I want that to end for my child. And the other person's saying, well, I grew up that way and it was wonderful and I want to continue it. You're at odds, not on just an issue. You're at odds on a legacy yeah, and your belief around it. And so to move forward from that, people really need to explore and validate 
that each person's feelings around their own legacy are are, are valid feelings mm. and that it's fair that you would, you know, if you had a wonderful experience with something that you would want to continue it. It's also fair that if you had a terrible experience, you would want to discontinue it. Um, and being able to talk to each other on a very emotional and vulnerable um, plane about how how this truly impacts you and how scary it is that you might not be able to have the dream that yeah. you had wished for. Yeah. I think, I think the, like you were saying before, like having those terms are, it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. I've never, you know, I've never heard of the dream, the, you call it the extinction and the legacy, right? I, yeah. I think that's really, that is really helpful because for me, I feel like there's a sense, and for a lot of people who are deconstructing, there's a sense of, I think more of an extinction, um, dream because a lot of it is what they're leaving behind or or I guess even there's a shift within that person that maybe they had a dream and Mm -hmm. that dream or or a legacy that they wanted to continue and then they have a shift in their core beliefs that causes that to completely flip and becomes extinction right do you think that there's within even just an individual do you feel like there's grief within our, even our own selves from being like, oh, my dream all growing up was, you know, having a baby, baptizing them and whatever. And then you go through this reevaluating and reassessing time of your life, season of your life, and you no longer have, you, now it's, you have like an extinction dream. Is there a sense of um, grief that one has for themselves and not just like for their partner, but just for them, for their own dreams? Absolutely. Because I mean, especially when it comes to religion and spirituality, it's not just about the spirituality, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a full on culture. Right. So you're not just grieving that you're not going to church on Sundays anymore. Yeah. Right. You're, you're having to grieve and question like everything. Mm. Are we still, so does this mean that I can't celebrate that holiday that I used to mm. really love? Because mm-hmm. I actually still really love that. But if I, if I celebrate it, am I in some way going against my values? Cause I don't believe it. I mean, there's so much there that is grief and the hard part. And I'm sure, I'm not sure if you ever talk about this or you've ever experienced it, but I think for a lot of people is that it isn't cut and dry, right? There are right. pieces where you might think, you know, I still am not sure that I, I'm still not sure if I think that this piece of it was bad Yeah. or, or even if I intellectually do something still feels good about it and like home about it and, or something still feels right about it. And so not only are you feeling grief, you're feeling like internal tension about like, what does this mean? And human beings love to have cut and dry answers. Mm -hmm. So to have to like live within that nuance. Yeah. you know, oh, maybe I'm allowed to pick some of this stuff and leave some of it behind. Like that's, it's really hard. Yeah. Well, I think, I think where a lot of trouble comes in is with something that is damaging. Generally, the reason at least that we see people start into a process of deconstruction is because there's been something that's been emotionally or psychologically damaging to them in that message and in that community where they feel the need to completely cut off that space, that dream, that community in order to preserve their mental health or, or, you know, physical health, even in some occasions. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, but then once they make that entire switch, I think there's a lot of, I I mean, retracting and backtracking sounds like there's a negative connotation to it, but I think there's, there's a lot of that, that tension that you're talking about when people almost feel the obligation to live out that full flip instead of giving themselves grace to move back into that space after they fully denounced something that they once believed in. And now they're saying, there's this piece that I want back. There's this, there's this part of the community that I want back. There's these beliefs that I just said that I believed my whole life and now I don't believe them. And now I'm going against them. But then to come back again and say, you know what? No, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was acting irrationally or I was, or I was overreacting to try to, establish a boundary for myself and how do you how do you navigate how do you navigate that within a relationship where there isn't that cut and dry and 
there's right without feeling like you're getting pulled all over the place as the partner saying, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. Like, you know what? I am going to follow you. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this step with you. So yeah, let's, you know, for lack Mm -hmm. of better words, F the system. Mm -hmm. And then, and then your partner, the one that initiated it to take steps backwards. How do you, how do you mitigate the embarrassment of that? And how do you, how do you move forward? Just being able to uh, almost delineate that, that process. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because there's probably different things based off of where your partner is, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a partner who still isn't totally there and you step back a little bit, it actually might be a relief to them. They might <laughs> just say, oh, good. You came to the bright side. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're back. Okay, let's not talk about it anymore. Um, and like all that tension can kind of disappear for a little bit under the rug. But there's also times where the other person maybe isn't even as invested as their partner who's working through things. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be a little bit more chill about it all. Yeah, I get that a lot where they're like, yeah, babe, like whatever you want. If that's not what you want anymore, then here, let's work through this. Um, but then their partner will step back from it and it can feel super confusing. Yeah. You know, where they're like, wait, I thought we had all these conversations about the fact that we're not going to go to your parents anymore for this holiday because it doesn't fit your values and you're backing up from that. And now you want us to go again, but I've now had an awkward experience with your parents. Mm -hmm. So what am I supposed to do? So for that type of partner who was on board a hundred percent, it can feel super confusing. Right. And they sometimes might start to feel like, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can trust, like you told me that this is what you wanted and I backed you up a hundred percent and I don't know what to do about that. And then the other person that I think you were talking about is maybe the person who was actually being carried along by the, the partner who was starting to shift out of something and they were kind of following along and seeing it with them. And it was like really hard and scary for them, but they did it. And then their partner saying, "Never mind, let's not do it anymore. And that person might feel a little betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've put myself out there and now you're saying, "Never mind." And I think in both of those cases, it's so important that there's some education done, maybe by the partner around like how hard this is and how strong, um, family ties are, Mm. how strong history and legacy is, and how it's not ever going to be cut and dry. And there are going to be 10 steps forward and five steps back. And then a few steps forward and a few steps back, probably forever as you as you gain your your bearings and you figure out like, what do I want life to look like? Like you talked about reconstructing, there might be aspects that are put back into life again, that for a while, we're completely cut off. Um, and so what I would suggest is number one, that when you are starting to go through this process together, that you just say that you, you're honest and you say, I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm going to be honest with you, that this is a hard process. And even though I say I'm going cold Turkey on something tomorrow, the likelihood that I never struggle with this is really small. Like I'm going to struggle at some point. And for that partner to be able to be able to express their frustration if it happens to be able to say how they feel, but to also be able to hold some compassion for the challenge of all of that is just incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, we asked our, um, our Instagram account, uh, if they had any questions more specifically on this and, um, a a lot of them, you know, we get, we get lots of questions because a lot of people, um, when they've gone through a major, uh, season of deconstruction, um, whether they're married or just dating, I, I would say the majority of people don't necessarily make it through, um, Mm -hmm. uh, in our, in our experience and what we've seen. And, um, but we, I feel like we are, we've not only just been making it through and staying together, but I feel like we're better than ever. Um, and, Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we get asked advice all the time, but we're no experts. So that's, I'm definitely glad that you're on, but I, a couple of questions that we get asked, um, one, one of them was, is it smart to start a relationship while you're full on deconstructing? Hmm. You know, I think that it's hard to answer that because sometimes I don't believe you get to totally decide when you start a relationship. Like, True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish, I wish I could be like the cut and dry person. That's like, no, <laughs> don't start a relationship. There's five rules to starting a relationship. Yeah. And these are the five. You're going to start a relationship when you're going to start a relationship. That's yeah. just the reality of human beings. I could tell you it's dumb. Don't do it. And tomorrow you might meet somebody and fall in love and start a relationship. Yeah. And that's just how it is. But what I would say is that the most important thing you could probably do is to learn to be honest about where you are. Mm. Yeah. Because what people will do when they're not totally sure, I mean, people even do it when they're sure, but they will not purposely, but they will mislead. Yeah. Mm, yeah. To please the other person. So if you're in a space where you're not certain of yourself, so you're going through, let's say, this process of deconstructing, you're not sure of yourself yet. It's uncertain to you. You don't know right. what it looks like. You're getting used to it. And when people are not sure of themselves, they waver and they mislead. Mm. And so what then happens is people enter into relationships. And I mentioned the word contract earlier, but they enter into relationships, creating a contract that they believe is palatable to the other person. Mm. And my guess is that when you are deconstructing, you're experiencing probably a lot of rejection and loss and all sorts of stuff. So you are likely to end up being palatable for people that are going to give you connection, right? You're going to find a way like, I don't want to lose you. I've already lost my whole family. Mm -hmm. So I I think that what you need to be careful of, because you're going to start dating when you start dating, but what you need to be careful of is that you don't mislead the other person just because you're not sure of who you are yet. Right. And that if you don't know, say you don't know. Mm. So if they say, Hey, do you think you want to raise your kids in the church? Um, say, I don't know. Right. You know, yeah. if you're not sure, but don't say, Oh yeah. You know, it's always been a dream of mine. Right. <laughs> or, yeah. or don't say no, absolutely never. If you're not sure, because then you might end up with a partner who in five years you've changed your mind and you say, Oh yeah, I want to go back. And they're like, wait, I thought in the very beginning, we both agreed that's not what we were going to do. Yeah. Right. We, I mean, I think that's really great advice. I, we say, um, you know, a lot on our episodes is when we talk about our relationship, how we, we married each other, loving who the person was, not what they believed. And, Mm. um, and, you know, that can, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to go into whenever we're talking about that, because it's like, well, does what somebody believes make them who they are? I don't know. It just really, it really depends. And so that that is quite nuanced. Um, and we've had an episode about interfaith relationships. And Mm. in that conversation, we discussed how, you know, we, we support it. Um, but we, and we don't recommend missionary dating, you know, hoping someone will change or become who you really want them to be eventually. Um, mm-hmm. but I like that term <laughs> missionary dating. See, that this, is so good. This is what, this is what comes from a uh, lifetime in Christianese. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're, um, we're that is really good. <laughs> <laughs> but like also conversely, we talk about how the, you know, the importance of embracing the natural evolution of your partner and how keeping someone in a box can also be detrimental. So uh-huh. can you, can you speak on you know, this new term <laughs> for you, missionary dating and how that can be a problem? Mm-hmm. And so when we do that, um, what we do is we hope we enter into something, hoping someone will be a fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's what you're talking about, my missionary dating, right? Like right. I'm going to get yeah. you to be who I want you to be. Right. I'm going to help you. Um, I'm going to help you here, right? And you're going to be this person that really fits with who I want you to be. The problem is, is that when we do that, 
again, we enter into a relationship with someone, not for who they are, but for what we hope that they are. Mm-hmm. And one of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Barry McCarthy before, but he's a sex therapist and studies relationships. And he talks about the fatal flaws of relationships. Mm. And you said a lot of people don't make it. And my guess would be is because it falls into one of his fatal flaws, which means it's kind of like there's these differences that are almost irreconcilable. Some people can reconcile them, Mm. but most can't. And they come, one of them is that when people start a relationship on what he calls false contracts, and it's kind of like when you say, oh, you know, I hear that this person doesn't want kids. So I'm going to say I might be open to not wanting kids, even though deep down, you know, that you want kids. Right. right. Um, but this one of the biggest things that he cites is religion. Mm-hmm. Right. And entering something and saying, yeah, I am 100 um, percent on board with practicing whatever it is. Yeah. Or I'm a hundred percent on board with you practicing Christianity and me practicing Judaism. Mm. Um, and we're totally okay with that, but really deep down inside, you're not. And what you're thinking is, well, one day, mm-hmm. one day they're going to just, they're going to be Christian with me. Uh, right. They're going to see how right I am. <laughs> they're going to see how right I am, or it's just, they're going to see how nice it is, or it'll be easier or Maybe they're not as connected to like their faith as I am. And since it's more important to me, they'll do what I need to do. Mm, mm -hmm. But when that happens, again, people feel incredibly betrayed, especially when it's very core to who they are and they feel tricked and they feel as if they've, the other person's trying to change them. And so often those types of relationships will end. Like if you're not going into it, being really honest about what you think about that difference, um, it's pretty hard. Right. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole thing to really, like I said, every, everything that we're talking about within relationships, as you know, everything's so nuanced, especially when you add Mm -hmm. religion into it. And and Mm -hmm. something that we grew up with was, um, the term of unequally yoked. I'm, I'm guessing you haven't heard that one either. I don't think I have. Tell me about it. Well, (laughs) basically it's the same, it's the same situation where unequally yoked means, not of the same faith structure, essentially. Um, and so yeah. it, it's, it comes from the Bible. And I think it, it, I think it really comes from ox, right? Yeah. The ox and they're, they have mm-hmm. to be, what is, I don't they, know. Well, basically, I think they it's balance, balance, right? Right. Both, both oxes have to be the same size and the same strength so that they're not pulling the cart in a circle, basically. Yeah. And so that's like something that comes up a lot in our conversations. It's like, and, and especially in that episode where we talked about interfaith relationships. Um, and it's something that so many people that we've talked to are like, even though they've deconstructed and they don't have the same beliefs that they once did, there's still this like underlying sense of or a fear, I guess, of mm-hmm. entering into a relationship where you're not completely seeing things eye to eye. And yeah, I I just think that's something that we've had to navigate, um, even within Mm -hmm. our relationship with having holding space for the other person to, to grow, to to look like we're not equally yoked. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we talked about when, so Lauren, in our case, um, she does a lot of internal processing, right? So she'll go do do some research. She'll figure out what she yeah. believes. She'll establish she'll establish the things that she's willing to claim. Whereas mm-hmm. in in my in my study and in things that I research and all of that, I I tend to leave things more open ended. So I'm more willing to just kind of flow and say, oh well, you know, I don't know, and because I don't know this, I'm not going to claim that, and I don't know this, so I won't claim that, and so I just kind of end up in this space where where I'm open to anything, but I'm not ready to lock down and claim certain things. And so then she, you know, she came to me with all of her research and basically presented me with a thesis of why she was, (laughs) why she was deconstructing, why she was moving away from evangelical Christianity. And one of the biggest things that we had to jump through in that space where maybe it felt unequally yoked for a minute was the, the room for people 
to re-language and re-establish meaning around language that we've used our entire lives. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like having to recreate, right? Together. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there's just, it's there's always this question of like, what, is this going to be the make or break? You know, is this going to be the <sighs> thing that is going to make things crumble? Or when is it going to be? How essentially in your mind or maybe in a more religious mind, um, unbalanced can we be and function in a relationship? And another question we get asked is, are there clear indicators that a couple will thrive or crumble during a shift in beliefs? And, you know, I guess that kind of goes back to what you were saying um, the about the contracts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that there's, there's some clear indicators, right? Like some are, one is, does the person feel totally misled from the beginning? Mm. It sounds like in your partnership, that's a no, right? Yeah. Like there was an evolution that you saw happen. Um, that's a little different than when somebody comes and says, I was always thinking this. Mm. I just told you, I told you that I, you know, wanted X, Y, and Z because I knew you would be upset, but I always wanted this. And I waited to tell you until after we were married right. <laughs> or I waited to tell you until after we had kids. That's usually really very challenging. But when couples are going through like the evolution together, at, not at the exact same time, not equally yoked, as you said, <laughs> but it can be different. It can be imbalanced, but that there's this evolution that's organically happened. Um, that's, that's a good indicator, yeah. right? Because there's no sense of I was lied to, I was betrayed. It's just a sense of, okay, growth happens. This is painful. This is hard, but I don't feel like it's because of me. I don't feel like I, I was let down in some way necessarily. Um, the other is, you know, how respectful are you towards each other in the process? Mm. So you asked earlier, so what, what should the partner do? You know, if their other partner is feeling like embarrassed because they're kind of waffling on what, on what they want here. And I mean, I think the biggest thing is, can they be respectful of that? Right. So if you have a partner that shows contempt about that, if your partner says you should really be ashamed of yourself, or aren't you embarrassed in front of our community? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. No wonder your parents don't want you around anymore. Not a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> right. But if there's respect, if there is the ability to say, you know, I can see you're having a tough time or even the ability to express disagreement respectfully. Um, you know, I, you could say, I'm feeling a little embarrassed about this, but I love you and I respect you. And like, we'll get through this together. That type of relationship is a good indicator. Yeah. Once contempt gets in there, that's not good. But I think when you're saying a lot of people fall apart, it's because of contempt, right? Mm -hmm. They start being really nasty to each other about the changes. And one of you mentioned fear. Of course, fear is underlying that, right? I need to be really aggressive about this because I'm really afraid that if I don't, if I don't get loud about it, I'm not going to get her. my dream. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to have my legacy dream. You're not going to hear it. So that another really good sign is respect. Being responsive is really, really important. So you don't have to agree with somebody, but you have to be responsive. Right. And that looks different than agreement. Agreement is saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, thank you for the dissertation and I 100% <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which isn't good because if you don't truly agree, then later on it comes back as one of those misleading contracts, right? Right. Um, but if you're able to just be responsive and say like, you know, I really see how passionate you are about this and I appreciate you sharing it. Um, it's hard for me to listen to cause I, I'm struggling with that and I'm, 
having my own feelings, but I can hear that this is something that's important to you. I want to hear about that. Like that responsiveness is so powerful. Yeah. So being respectful, being responsive, having an organic change rather than a misleading change. Those are some pretty, those are some pretty healthy um, things that happen between couples when, when there is some sort of big, like relational cultural change going on. Um, the opposite of that, of course, is the unhealthy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that kind of brings me to the question of like, so, I mean, especially in, in Christian culture, there's, there's almost a stake in the ground as in like what a husband has as a role and what a wife has as a role or what partners Mm -hmm. have as independent roles within a relationship. And so do you feel like, do you, first of all, I guess, do you feel like roles in a relationship, well-defined roles in a relationship are important or mm-hmm. is it more important to have that freedom like you're talking about to, to lead and move and grow in whatever way that, that you seem deem necessary? Like is, is it, is, is independence important and are, are well-defined roles important in a relationship? Yeah. So well-defined roles are important in terms of philosophy. When people are not clear about their philosophy of what it looks like to be married, that's where things become problematic, right? So one thing that I see a lot of is I think particularly in the current moment, many people are trying to create what is called symmetrical relationships. Symmetrical relationships are where the roles are mostly shared, right? So I'm working, my husband's working, my husband does some house stuff, I do some house stuff, my husband does some childcare stuff, I do some childcare stuff. We both have similar roles. Within that, there's more defined things, right? Like he takes out the trash and I wash the dishes, but it's a mostly symmetrical relationship. However, Many of us, not just um, even in the Christian faith, but many of us have been raised in what's called complementary relationships. And complementary relationships are one person has this role and the other has this. One person works outside of the home and deals with finances and deals with, um, you know, taking care of like construction projects around the house. And the other person deals with the softer things, like caring about the social systems and the emotional systems and the family and taking care of the home and taking care of the kids. They complement each other. They're not symmetrical. And since many of us were raised to see those types of relationships, even if we consciously believe that we want a symmetrical relationship, we go back into patterns without knowing it that are actually more complementary. Mm. And So like you were talking about, you've seen people behave a certain way and your religion says you should do it. You might, while you're deconstructing, say, that's not what I want. Right. I don't want that role. I want to, I don't want to be just like the mom. Mm -hmm. I want to be the mom and this too. Um, And there's nothing wrong with also being a mom, um, but you might have something else that you want. But what will happen is that you don't know how to do it. And so you will try to take on all these other tasks that you think represent Mm. that type of relationship. Yeah. But you'll keep the tasks and you'll keep the rigid beliefs of what the complementary relationships looked like. Got it. And then you'll get mad at each other about it. right? Right. So it's like, you know, it's not fair because I'm working, but I'm also cleaning the entire house. Mm-hmm. Yep. What happened there? Did the philosophy actually change or did it just change on the surface? So defined roles, you know, do you need to like check off who does the trash, who does this, who does that? Maybe. But what you do need to talk about in your relationship frequently is what do I truly believe um, mm-hmm. you are supposed to do? And what will I judge you for not doing? Mm. And can I be honest about that? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I am, I try to create a very like egalitarian relationship. I own businesses, you know, I work, I'm a mom. My husband is wonderful. He works, he vacuums, he changes diapers, like all of those things. 
but there was a time where I was drilling um, curtain rods into the wall and couldn't figure it out. And he said, can you help me? And he said, I don't know how to do it. And I was so mad that hmm. he didn't know how to do it. And I had to sit and think, you know what? That's because I have some weird belief that men are just supposed to be able to like fix everything in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Solid though. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So really being clear about your philosophy on roles is super important. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with very traditional quote, traditional, like complimentary family. And so I have to consistently ask myself, like, even though on the outside, I say, I'm a businesswoman, and my husband is great at changing diapers. Do I still hold him accountable for like, things that I don't even consciously believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I find myself doing that as well. And, mm. and I feel like that's an area where I, yeah, I feel like that's a really good way to put it because even though our traditionally and, and generally our relationship in a lot of ways, me and Adam's relationship is, I guess lo- looking in is a little role reversed if you want to put like gender stereotypes onto it. Um, Uh but but even with that, I feel like there are moments and there are times that like with your example of like, well, how do you not know how to do that? Of course you should be able to figure it out. Oh, if I, you know, I feel like there's being able to communicate that and being able to sit with your own expectations and, and realize them. Um, I think that's really, I think that is really important. And I feel like that kind of leads me to my my next and my last question, which is, um, you know, people hashtag relationship goals or people talk about relationship goals all the time. Um, and I'm curious if you have an, if if there's any relationship goals that you've seen floating around, like on social media or what have you, um, that aren't quite as ideal as they may seem. Mm, I mean, there's so many, (laughs) yeah, there's so many, there's, you know, these ideas of, um, I I feel like a lot of relationship goals kind of hold up this ideal of these people who like don't fight and they are always in sync with each other. And, you know, they have beautiful pictures and they do beautiful things together all the time. And so just that image obviously isn't realistic because people fight, people disagree, people don't want to be around each other sometimes. Um, you know, saying things like don't go to bed angry is not Mm. necessarily helpful. That's like a big one. I think that's really popular saying love is all you'll ever need. Um, Mm. yeah, is, is not very helpful. So there's kind of all of these things that I think try to bypass that relationships are really, really hard. Right. And when we bypass that, we set people up for failure because, then they get into a relationship and it's really hard and they think, well, this isn't what it's supposed to be. People aren't supposed to go to bed angry. People aren't supposed to, you know, love is supposed to be all we need. Mm-hmm. So we love each other so much, but why are we fighting? Or this person's really mean to me, but I love them. And so love can overcome that. Oh, and yeah. I think that we need to make it a little bit more normalized to say, no, like you are not going to live together until you're a hundred years old and never, ever Mm -hmm. fight, never, ever have a difference, never, ever be really upset that one person has chosen a different path than you assumed. Um, that is going to happen because you're two human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was, a. advice we got a lot actually before we got married was don't go to bed angry at each other isn't Uh that true we we got that written all over our our book and everything and that was actually one of the first things that I didn't listen to (laughs) because I feel like with fighting you or if you're angry with each other at some point at 2 a.m it's not going to get resolved if you're both exhausted and you're both tired and overly emotional and there's there's other elements involved, I feel like sometimes the idea of having to make it perfect and seamless before you go to sleep is, it's sometimes just like this impossible, I guess this impossible standard sometimes. And maybe, maybe for some people they can, but I think, um, 
yeah, that that was one of the first ones that I just decided wasn't always going wasn't always going to work. I think with what I I've chosen to do in those situations where we haven't been able to work it out, but we're both tired and we both got to go to sleep is I'll communicate my feelings. So there's no, there's no confusion as to what exactly I'm feeling, but I can't, we're not going to work it out. I'll just be like, I'm mad. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty mad, but I love you. I'm going to sleep. Like, you know what (laughs) I mean? And not having to figure, not, not having to be happy before I go to sleep, but being able to communicate to him. So he's not like, well, is she sad? Is she mad? Is she confused? Is she, is she fine? I can communicate. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not fine. Yeah. I'm angry, but I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. We'll, we'll figure this out. Like, and knowing that he's, mm-hmm. you know, giving him that assurance that this is a feeling, my feelings are valid and so are yours. And we'll, we'll get through this just not right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's so healthy because you're also not expecting the other person to be your emotional calibration. Yeah. Right. Like, right. You're not expecting that this person has to come up with the perfect thing to say, even if they're mad at you too, mm-hmm. so that you don't have to feel uncomfortable anymore. Right. Right. Like, and I think that we do that a lot. We're like, I'm uncomfortable right now and I'm not going to stop until mm. you figure out the perfect way mm. to make me feel comfortable, even if you kind of are like betraying yourself to do it. Right. Like, even yeah. if you're making something up or even if you're staying up when you really needed to sleep or you're not studying when you really needed to study, like you're going to have to do that so that I feel better. Yep. And I tell people all the time, if, if one of you is chronically sacrificing yourself to be in a relationship, that's problematic. Yeah. Right. And so I love the example you gave, which is to say, this is honestly how I'm feeling. Like I'm not expecting you to fix it in this moment, but you do need to hear it. Yeah. Um, and then you said something super important, which was, and I love you. Yeah. And for the other person to also be able to say, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you right now <laughs> because it's 1 a.m., but I do love you. When you create that security, then both people, they might not have their feelings fixed, but yeah. people can move forward um, towards sleep or towards right. whatever they need to do until it gets resolved. Right. Right. Exactly. That was definitely a, a learning curve. And I'm really, I'm really happy that we got that, that figured, not figured out. We don't have a perfect, but that scenario, I feel like, right. th- yeah, I feel like that's something that we just navigated really uh, early on. But mm-hmm. anyway, well, this has been awesome. Honestly, yeah, it's been, been really great. fun to talk to you about this and kind of go back and forth in our, our like I said, our specialties. It was really fun to just bounce back and forth. Yeah, I loved it. I, Thank you for teaching me. <laughs> <laughs> you can implement some of these. I'm sure there's going to be people coming in and oh, asking. I'm so excited. I mean, to have this word because I do work with a lot of people who are trying to figure out what they want to do with like their religious and spiritual beliefs. Yeah. Um, so thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> Our honor. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, make sure you check out uh, her Instagram account, which is at Liz Listens. I'll, of course, be linking her things down below, her links, uh, all of her websites. Um, and uh, guys, just make sure you go follow her because I've been following her for a while now and I feel like I've learned so, so much. So Um, Liz, again, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, Bye. bye.